Hello, hello everyone. This is your girl Jamise. And this is your boy Khalif. This is another episode of Friendly Fire. Welcome back. It's been a hot minute. She's been on vacation for a little bit. Everybody knows I love vacation. Um, You'll probably be listening to this in 2024. This will be our first episode of the new year. Yay. God blessings to all who made it through 2023. And this is episode 81 called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Okay, so... um, Well, this is sponsored by... Yours truly, Crusade Entertainment, spelled with the K because it's spelled any other way, then it's not as fun. Coming soon, we're going to have KE merch and Khalif's Night music up for sale. From hits such as Stick and Move, Paper, and Ajima, come down to crusade.net, take a listen and a gander, get your own Crusade merch and music. Okay. A rather nice plug. <laughs> Some of y'all may want to uh, kind of know what I did with my uh, vacation time besides uh, work and work and work and work. I actually did do a lot of reading, and this is what prompted today's uh, show because, um, of course, the mood, the film, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, uh, came out uh, in 2023. And I'd known about the book, the mean to read the book. It was on my show. And I said, hey, I'm just going to read it. Because it promoted that I wanted to read the book before I saw the movie. And that is what helped with the understanding of this whole world building. And also, please go to crusade.net and check on the review written about the novel by Suzanne Collins, The Ballad of Songbird and Snakes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go ahead and jump right into this. Mm-hmm. So who is Suzanne Collins? Suzanne is an American author and television writer. She is best known as the author of the young adult dystopian book series, The Hunger Games. She's also the author of a children's fantasy series called The Underland Chronicles. All right. So I think there's like five books in that Um and so also, so of course you guys may or may not know that this uh, is the prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And it's, it's basically precedes what happens in the Hunger Games. It revolves around the 11th Hunger Games, I think, if I'm correct. No, I thought it was the 10th. The 10th Hunger Games, right, right, right. Because um, uh, what happened to the 11th is another story. <laughs> um, what happened to the 10th one is another story. And so we're basically, if you know anything about the Hunger Games, the main protagonist in the film is Coriolanus Snow. Never could get it right saying his name. It's just such a weird thing. Just call him Corio like everybody else. President Snow, uh, this is his kind of, sort of kind of origin story. Because when we meet him in this book, he isn't a little baby. But um, it does build with you know his motivations and we'll get more into that so this is the prequel because it tells the story of snow and and what i love about this book is that the narrative weaves themes of power survival and the impact of the games on the current society offering a compelling perspective on the series dystopian world right um so i had to like cough no, no, so no. what are so here's some of the main characters from so there's there's two things I'm gonna talk about. Main characters and some and just mention the minor characters. So first the list of the main characters, these characters contribute to the narratives of exploration of power, morality, and the origins of the oppressive regime in the Hunger Games universe. Number one, Coriolanus Snow, the main protagonist and the future president. He is cunning and ambitious mentor for the tributes in the 10th Hunger Games. The novel traces his journey, revealing the events that shape his character. And then uh, the other one is Lucy Graybeard. She is the female tribute assigned to Coriolanus. Lucy Gray is a talented singer and performer, bringing a sense of mystery to the story. Her relationship to Coriolanus unfolds against the backdrop of the Hunger Games. I do want to say another thing about Lucy Gray. She's kind of a... um, uh, she she travels. Her family used to travel. She's part of a group called the um, the Cove or the Cubby the Cubby yes. And they're like a traveling group entertainer. So she's from 
District 12 at the time, but technically not because before they made all the districts, her family's known for traveling. So when I think about it, I think about it like uh, gypsy performers in the old Europe, you know, so that's kind of what the look is going for. In here. the old world. Right. Next, we have Sejanus Plyth. Plinth. Plinth, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Coriolanus is, is his friend and fellow mentor. Sejanus questions the capital's oppressive system, leading him into a dangerous territory. His character explores the moral complexities within the capital. Uh, Sejanus is actually uh, from District 2. Which I guess we could briefly cover. You don't know anything about Hunger Games. We'll cover that in a little bit. Um, but he's actually not from the capital, so this is where this moral quandary comes from. Next, you have Dean Highbottom. I always call him Higginbottom. I have no clue why. Because Higginbottom is the last thing that we know. Highbottom, oh. we don't. I've never heard that name. So, the <laughs> head game maker of the 10th Hunger Games, responsible for designing the arena and overseeing the deadly competition. His interactions with Coriolanus offers insight into the capital's manipulation of the games. It's actually correct. He's not the head game maker. He's actually the um, uh, the person who runs the school, the dean. Oh, my so bad. He did not. His idea created the games, but he's not the head game maker. That would be Dr. Gall. Um, well, I think that's why I called him the head game maker, because it was just it was his idea. But yeah. Dr. Gall is the game maker. She she is the one who promotes it and wants it to keep on going. Um, because by now at the 10th, there's already, we find out some stuff that it's not really something that people want um, already by the 10th anniversary. And so she's in charge. So we'll get to that in a minute. But um, one of my favorite characters, also a main character is Tigress, who she is, she's a stylist. Uh, at the time, it's the beginning of her career. So she's actually the cousin uh, the older cousin of Snow. She is a Snow descendant. She knew uh, his father, his mother. Like she's basically like an older sister to him. So in his family, who's left is his cousin Tigress and their grandmother, who they call Grimman. And so that's his whole world, basically. And so Tigress looks after him like a big sister. She always makes sure that he's fed and he his uniform's correct for things. And she really is encouraging to him, but also. Uh, tries to keep his humanity and she witnessed a lot of the atrocities in their childhood, you know, together. So they are very, very bonded like brother and sister. And last both but not orphans. least, I should guess I should. Yes, they're, they're both, both orphans. orphans. And last but not least, we have Dr. Gall. This character serves as the head of the Capitol's game making program. She plays a significant role in overseeing the 10th Hunger Games and her character represents the Capitol's scientific and strategic approach to the games. Dr. Gall is portrayed as a highly intelligent and calculating figure, influencing the development of the Hunger Games into the brutal and manipulative event seen in the later books of the series. Her character adds depth to the exploration of the capital's control and manipulation of both tributes and mentors in the Hunger Games. Um, and then we have a list of minor characters I'll just go through uh, quickly. So we have uh, Clementia Dovecoat. They have the best names, I got to say. This writer comes with really creative names for these characters. And she is um, she is a student at the same school with Snow. I don't know if we ever mentioned that these people are students. Um, oh, no. Not <laughs> a, so basically, at this point in the book, they're all like high school? High school. They're last year, so like seniors in high seniors school. Seniors in high school, and they're getting ready to go off to college, but they're all competing they're very competitive. for the Plinth uh, scholarship. Not yet, actually. That's something that was different in the movie. So that's something. Um, so are we talking about the book character or the movie characters at this point? Oh, I... I you know, they're a little bit different, and that's, that's one thing we're going to go over. They're a little bit different. I think that's why the breakdown of who they are doesn't give a lot of information. Okay. So I'll just say, basically she is a classmate same. Um, so they can, they just compete just because if you have these, think about the top 10% of your high school class, you know, they're all trying to get top marks. They're all trying to get scholarships, to go to college, they're all trying to get those recommendation letters, things like that. And this is the first year that they're actually letting the uh, children, they are going to have a tribute each and they mentor them. So this is the first time they come up with this because like I said, um, and I don't know if people remember, but in the Hunger Games, when you get to the Hunger Games, 
you are already at year 73 or 74, I believe. And then the second book is 75. So this, we're all the way back at 10. This is 60 plus 65 plus years ago. Okay. So that's just to put how long ago this was. And at the time, this, um, the whole country, which is consists of the capital and all the districts has just come out of a war that ended about, uh, 13 years, I, I believe, because it said that these kids who are now seniors, the war ended when they were about six or seven. So they have um, their childhood, their childhood was in a war-torn country. And now, so there's still a lot of rebuilding. There's still a lot of hunger. There's still a lot of poverty throughout the whole country and the capitals included. And you do get to see this uh, because Snow, his family lost everything. And so he... He is very motivated to do well in school because this is how he'll feed his family, his family name. Um, and so that's where these minor characters come into play because they all come from different wealthy families at one point. You know, these are the creme de la creme families. You know, these are going to be basically, I guess in America we could say, you know, these are the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. This is, but they're not all rich anymore because of the war. So they, but they come from this, wealthy stock i guess you could say except for of course the best maybe best friend kind of so then there's clementia who's always in a group with uh snow and then there's gaius breen who he actually wasn't that big a character i do believe um i want to say he died in the book well that's um, why he's a minor character okay. i think he was the one who got stabbed in the throat um yeah and so there's these other characters, Lisa Strata, Vickers. That one, I think she is the daughter of, of Doctors, and she actually helps Snow's Tribute win the game. Um, and there's a Price. Oh. Persephone that, Prince, Price, the mayor's daughter in right. the District 12, a friend of, well, not technically a friend of Lucy Gray, because she's the one who um, turned on Lucy because of her. And, and what's his name? whatever there's some boyfriend that dude whatever that dude <laughs> name is he he he's minor minor um so these characters aren't really too important to the story it's just important to know that not all of the students are cutthroat and evil some of them are very spoiled some of them are actually considerate it just depends on what their background so of course we know that one being the daughter of doctors uh she seems to value life and the whole games makes and there's a few students that the games kind of makes them sick um, and then there's some that are like, um, in it to win it no matter what. So they just accept this is what we have to do. So that's when we get into the moral quandaries that come up in the book slash movie. <laughs> well, it kind of portrays, this is going to cover now this section here, uh, the moral quandaries and things that we're going to talk about is going to primarily talk about things we saw in the movie, but because you and I reread the book, it kind of, I'm trying to cover both. I think we bit. should, I mean, in my opinion, if we talk about the moral quandaries, we really want to focus more on the book because in the movie, they didn't, they kind of just glossed over a lot of it. Um, but in the movie, because we have such powerhouse actors playing the part of Dean Highbottom and Dr. Gall, they, their moral whatever is portrayed a bit better because they, I guess they're just really good. They had at to acting. be shown. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as far as us getting to know the main character, Snow and, and Lucy, it is not done so well. So we can just, we're going to focus on the book. A lot of you may not have read the book. If you have not read the book, I recommend it. It is quite different than what happens in the movie. But there are some things that are the same. But if you really want to dive in and really get to know these characters and, and they're three-dimensional, you need to read the Read, read the, the book. Um, so this may be some spoiler if you have not seen these, seen the films, if you have not read, read the, the book. books, this is spoiler. I do recommend, even though it says young adult fiction, these are really good stories. So um, I guess that's my spoiler. So now we'll get into it. So first up, we're going to talk about the manipulation and exploitation. Corio faces more dilemmas as he grapples with the manipulation the tributes for personal gain and questioning the ethical boundaries of using their lives as pawns in the Hunger Games. So first question, how do the moral quandaries faced by Corio in manipulating the tributes for personal gain prompt reflection on the ethics of using others to achieve one's goals? 
why did you even ask this question? Like, this is just, oh, and I do want to say, uh, Khalif is calling him Corio because this is what his friends and family call him. Um, it's a nickname. Yeah, I so, consider myself Cor- as a friend Coriolanus and a family. Snow is like, and I and I'll just call him Snow because a lot of people, who, if you haven't seen the this movie or read this book, you may not know his first name is Coriolanus. So, uh, so young okay. Snow. I'll mm-hmm. say Snow. I'll say Snow. You can call him Corio. We we just clarified it. Um, in the book, he is basically Tigress, his cousin is very focused on keeping humanity. There is a scene in the book and also in the movie, but I didn't quite catch it in the movie because I really wasn't paying attention to be honest. But he, they were starving during the war. Everyone was starving. And him and his cousin, well, actually in the book, it's just him by himself. He witnessed one of the neighbors um, actually take the leg off of a, a maid who had died in the streets from starvation in the cold. And he took the leg back home. So he assumes that it was eaten. And that kind of, one of his classmates, she's in that family. So he kind of doesn't really care for her because he knows what he saw her dad do. And so this is, he witnessed a loss of humanity as a child. And so Tigris is always really trying to promote that in him, you know, to see the tributes as children. You know, when they come up, she's like, oh, they're just children. Like, she keeps saying this, you know, and that kind of colors how. And so she tells him to do certain things. Like, she tells him to go um, make Lucy feel special. You know, she tells him, you know, oh, they look hungry. Like, she points out things to him that keeps their humanity. And for her, even when they did something horrible, um, well, they didn't do anything horrible. They, they were just trying to escape. But she still makes excuses for uh, then because they're just children but she, she tells her cousin like think about how scared they must be and then also in the movie she does mention that too so she's very much and so Snow is affected by that because he loves his cousin he trusts her and so he does do the things she asks him to do and he tries to really treat Lucy like a, a human being like not an equal but not trash kind of so well you kind of just took what I was going to say too but so oh. no it's all good cuz I was just going to say um a lot of the ethics he cuz he what I loved about him and what I loved about Snow in this book and I know all those who are listening like he loves Snow it's just that cuz at first his catchphrase snow falls on top I love that it's like and, a family slogan oh right? yeah oh snow mm-hmm. falls on lands on top yeah, or something like that snow, snow lands on top but um, but yeah, like you said, um, there was a part of him that, although he questioned and he, he was kind of, I mean, I am not gonna lie, he he's 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 trying to beat out these other rich kids that are actually still wealthy or maybe wealthy, and he knows that he's poor. So the fact that he is trying to gain prestige, he did see or tried to see um them as when they were hungry, he could relate to that because there was times when he was growing up, as we pointed out during the war that they were starving and how he witnessed, um, or in the book, as they witnessed a neighbor cut off the leg and go probably use it for food. I, I just thought it was interesting the way he was trying to play into that and give them things that nourishment, what they needed, because at this point, people during the games, in this early on, they were treated like criminals. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like, not, not worse cr- than criminals. Like, worse than criminals. Like they've been in Guantanamo POW Bay. POW internment, <laughs> you know, like how we knew that um, the Japanese treated uh, the American POWs. Think about that. Um, because they didn't consider to feed them. Uh, to And they basically, when they arrive in the capital, they put them in a cage at the zoo. Uh, so we know that if you've seen the Hunger Games movies, it's totally different than um, how it began. And I think, so they are treated like they are criminals and then kind of like animals to be shown like a carnival of, um, what do you call a that? A sideshow. Sideshow, like freaks, basically. And so they, you know, um, but he knows differently. And I think that, he does understand, but at the end of the day, like I, I never, never, never like Snow either in the book or in the movie. I just, 
and I and I wanted and I wanted to. I wanted him to be painted, but I also like that uh, the author kept it real. You know, it, it's like he wasn't, you know, this really good guy in the beginning, and then you know he some tragedy happened, and now he's this. I mean, he was always a, a, questionable. a scum bucket. I you thought know, he was always questionable, not a scumbucket. No, he was he was always about himself. Well, there was parts in the book where he he kept going back to like that whole nostalgic feeling, like oh, I am I am capital, like it's right. something that's higher than he's really everyone else. really brainwashed to think that. Um, the people in the capital are the best of the best, right? And that everyone else is kind of like a barbarian, you know. And so it perplexes him that he has a classmate who's from one of the districts. And if you're listening to this and you don't know anything about, um, let's just, I'll just say that this is this is what's left the United United States. Um, from yeah. my understanding, there this was is... some kind of something that happened. And now we have, that's why it's called Pan Am, which is short for Pan America. I don't know if anyone ever caught that, but I caught it a long time ago. Oh, I did not. I'm not going to lie, people. I did not catch it because I was like, Pan Am, Pan Am, Pan Am. Mm -hmm. But it's just the way they said it. Like, they would never, it's not like Pan Am, like the, um, Pan Am. They were like Pan Am. Right. That's the way I heard it. So I was like, I thought this was like a new place. But then when I saw it written in the book, it was Pan Am. Right. And I was like, oh, Pan America. So basically, well, what happened? there's twelve. There's twelve main areas. Well, thirteen areas that were left, and and plus the capital, and they all rose up against the capital. For there's a big civil war, and the capital ends up winning because we know that Doctor Gall and her scientists have all these things, but everybody suffered basically, and it kind of. Um, but the capital came out on top, and our they brainwash their children to thinking that they are better than the ones who live in the district and district 13 was destroyed. So there are now just 12 other districts and the districts do not have any connection to the capital. They don't really know what goes on in the capital. They just work and do their day-to-day -day life. But 12 is one of the most impoverished of all of those areas. So if you think about that, um, but each area specializes in something that brings back to the capital. And the closer you get, the lower number, the more well-to-do. And that, that reflects in the tributes who are the children that are sent to the capital. The ones from like districts one, two, three, four, whatever, those are usually the strongest, healthier ones. And then it goes down from there. So when Snow gets district 12, he knows already that, or he suspects that he's going to lose. He's not going to win. But his whole goal is to actually make her likable and really use this to get himself on TV, to get himself in the news, you know, to kind of promote himself because he already thinks, you know, he's, his intent at the beginning is not to win. He doesn't think it's possible because he has the female from District 12, which is like the lowest he could get in his mind. And it turns out that through a series of unfortunate events, <laughs> She actually begins to stand a chance once they finally get into the games. So how does the novel challenge or support the idea of moral relativism as characters like Corio engage in manipulation for personal gain within the context of the capital's values? Um, I should let you... I'm going to explain what moral relativism is. No, I think I should explain and you should answer the question. No, okay. All right. So moral relativism is the idea that there is no universal absolute set of moral principles. It's a virgin morality that advocates to each her own, and those who follow it say, who am I to judge? Moral relativism is the opposite of moral absolutism, which states that there is only one right answer to any moral ethical question. I won't go into subcategories, it's not necessary, but that's a good definition. So, Khalif, answer your question. <laughs> Oh, basically, my question, my answer is this. Within that, as you stated before, because you kind of bled into this question with talking about the capital and how they, how the capital children were made to believe that they were better. This is where the moral relativism is. So, like, there's parts in the book where, or I'll say this in the movie, where um, he goes back after his the stint of the book and they're asking him about, like, his view of everyone of his how did he enjoy his vacation if you will in district 12 
there's a lot of things that happen, people. Um, so he basically starts feeling like, like the whole world is like, everyone's a monster except for people in the capital. And this I is, I think that's how he started off, but that's not how he finished. I disagree with that. What? Yeah. And I'll, I'll explain why. Hello. No, no, no. Go ahead. Cause I mean, cause what I felt it was that he goes through. Okay. So people, I'm, I, I'm not going to go through all the book, but cause it's a very lengthy novel. He goes, he, he's already kind of like, eh, it is what it is. This is this, right? He goes through, he tries to feed and does all the good things that I enjoyed and saw that he was trying to be human. But that was n not his whole intent until he starts making that connection with Lucy. And that to me was even more bringing out his um, humanist side because he couldn't, he couldn't understand like how could this one person who's not from the capital be such a good person. And that's one of the things where the moral relativism come in because he really feels that what he believes about capital and their values it supersedes anything else. Well, she must be capital. And he kept saying that a no, lot. No, no, no. He said that she's not actually district because of how she acts. That's what he kept oh. trying to promote. Okay. You know. Um, well, that's the way I interpret it. Like, just him saying this. Okay, she's not district. It took, like, she so must be capital. she's better than district. Yeah, yeah, she's better than district. But she may not, not be capital, capital, but she's mm -hmm. better than district. So she, because she has these principles, these values that is trying to come out and that she sees that she's trying, that he has been trying to manipulate because Corios wrote this paper and had them get the mentors. I mean, not mentors sponsors mm -hmm. so he was really playing this up like this is the good stuff about her right trying to get her more sponsorships so she can get you know food and water and things while she's in uh the the arena which is something that we see is still happening in hunger games later so that's actually uh snow's idea was having sponsorship which is very important to to getting more people to watch and participate in the games uh, but I disagree with you about him seeing like that everyone else is monsters, but capital at the end, I think at the end, he understood everybody can be a monster. And that was Dr. Gall's thing was that, cause remember she, his, the lesson was that, you know, he went into the arena and to protect himself, he killed another child. You know, he, he killed one of the tribute to, to protect himself. Okay. And then what he did when it came down to his friend and writing him out and all this stuff. And it was all about, and then what he did at the end of the book and how he almost killed Lucy was it was all about his survival. So what she was trying to teach him was that we are all the same. We can all be monsters, but how do you keep it under control? How do you prevent us from, from going to another civil war? We will inevitably destroy ourselves and each other, you know, just destroy everything. Like basically to me, it's, it, it feels like what they talked about going through the cold war and still we still have the remnants of it today because of russia and the u.s having new, both having nuclear weapons how do we keep from destroying each other and then the whole world with us right so basically her idea is that we just keep a little bit of the war going all the time that's the importance of the games so that because or we will descend into monsters again and I think so he understands. And so that's when he begins to understand that there isn't a difference between capital and districts. Like who is in power though, you know? And so in order to keep power, the capital has to do these things. So he be, he believes this wholeheartedly that they can't be trusted to be in power in order for capital to keep power. They have to do this. So I think that was the lesson she was trying to get him is that, you know, in, in a pinch, we are all savages you know, and we have to go against that nature. So in this case, so only savagery could be met with savagery. Sort of, but she's like not all out, you know, um, because again, I think Dr. Gall, just like everybody else is not one another war, you know, but they know that there's, there's simmering hatred. And this also, this harks all the way back. If you do, cause I'm going to be a history teacher. You all, this harks all the way back. You think about like in reality, like world war one, and Germany. And when Germany was crushed, they came back in World War II and tried to take over. And that's exactly what we see happen in the Hunger Games later, 75 years on. And so it really never, that strive for independence and freedom never stopped. It just went underground. 
And so she's thinking that if we have something so horrible like the Hunger Games, then this will keep them from rebelling. The next thing that we're going to talk about is something that I really enjoyed in the book and the movie. Compassion versus ambition. For this, Corio develops conflicting feelings torn between his growing compassion for Lucy Gray and his ambitions, his ambitious desire for success within the capital's oppressive system. So I guess the first question, how does Corio's internal conflict between ambition and compassion contribute to the exploration of moral complexities in a society that values success within the oppressive system? I don't even know why you're asking these questions. I don't even know why you're asking these questions like this. I thought you would just use this to guide your discussion, but you're just straight at just asking these questions. It's like yeah, you're these... doing this weird interview, like I'm the like I'm like we we no. studied the book or something. No, I'm just trying to get like some some topics or some something that's a little different to us to actually talk about. I mean, because these are these are all things that we talked about, like. Oh, and private conversations. Absolutely. So I think what's really funny about this is it just reminds me a lot about how, as human beings, we accept the system. And even if it's not working for us as an individual, we don't think there's something wrong with the system. We think there's something wrong with how I'm doing it. So instead of Snow questioning the system, he buys into it and is like, but how do I be successful within that system? And that is certainly something that human beings have been uh, accused of doing for a long time. And it takes a long time for us to change something in the system because of how you're used to how it was. And it's like, well, if, you know, if I'm not successful in this system, then it must be because I'm doing something wrong. A lot of people believe this and not that there's something wrong with the system that needs to be fixed because changing that whole system it's very difficult. Well, I think also because it, it goes to admit if you can see an oppressive system and call it out for what it is, then if you benefit or maybe not benefit, but you're supposed to benefit, that kind of raise guilt. Like it's kind of like um, the wager from Pascal where you talked about believing in God or not. You know, it's like, what's the harm in believing if you believe and there is, then you're all good. Then but you if won. you believe and there's nothing. No harm, no foul. Exactly. But so, if you don't believe, and, and there, there is, is something, something, oh, you you lucked right. out. Yeah. And so, and I think that's where it kind of comes in that wager of seeing the system for what it is. So Corio, in this case, saw that oh well, he's capital. I'm I'm from a f former rich family. I need to get back to that power and status. Right. That generational wealth. That generational wealth that mm -hmm. we lost due to it being taken from us from right. this war. Right. So he comes back and that the fact that he's not successful, he keeps hitting these hurdles is because I think it was like the way I saw it, it was like, oh, so Janus is getting in his way. Like he saw like and he's in the military part people. He's in the military. He gets it's a lot of stuff to it, but. He gets in the military and he sees this as his way to get up and become a successful general or whatever. And well, I think like we know from the beginning that Snow to me, he's like a crybaby. Everything that happens to him is just because something is against him. Like Sejanus uh, has something that he should have, you know. Um, the dean is mean to him. I mean, the dean is mean to him for no reason. We find out why he's mean to him. I mean, because basically. When you first read in the book, you think Snow is just some kid who's getting bullied um, by the circumstances and then these other kids trying to take credit for his work. But then you find out that Snow has a flaw in his character and he he believes in the greatness of himself and his family name. And his cousin tries to keep him grounded by reminding him that, yeah, okay, you know, but there's another way to be successful. I mean, we lost it all. Your your parents died in the war. You know, we could be better. We could be a different generation for the Snow family. And that was really what he missed because he wants to go the old way. And he's going to make himself successful in this system instead of challenging the system. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much what I was going to say because I agree with you on that because he... 
saw like the things like the whole Hunger Games. He he bought into it. Like, okay, well, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z just to get Lucy to be successful, so I could benefit, right? Yeah. So let's get into um, when we talk about friendship and loyalty and how it is shown. So the main friendship that Snow keeps denying is between him and Sejanus. What do you think about that? Like where? Wait, sorry. I was, I had to scroll down. Well, you just, just remembering. I'm asking you a question. Okay. So repeat your question, please. <laughs> uh, Cause it's like, you know, the, the maybe friendship, I don't know. It's kind of, what, what do we call it? Frenemies between Sejanus and Snow. Um, what can we say about that when it comes to that and loyalty? This is not a question. I'm but, asking. Okay. I I just think that um, frenemies is the great is the great descriptor for this relationship because Sejanus thinks they're friends, but Corio is like, "You're beneath me, District Two boy." Mm-hmm. So, but there is something that the Plinth family has that he wants. Mm-hmm. So therefore, he's loyal to the idea of once again gaining for snow and Sejanus is just kind of a tool or a hurdle he needs to overcome or a tool to use to get to that point because in the book he was like another son to the Plinth family right he becomes that later but not oh yeah sorry but they yeah. always saw him, but everyone always saw him and Sejanus as, as best friends. friends. Yes. And it's like, well, you stopped him from going nuts in class. You did this. You stopped him from going in to the arena. It's like, I mean, they briefly discuss it when he first came. Um, which time? To, no, when, when Sejanus, like there's a, there's a, what do you call when it? When they're a in flashback? District 12? No, a flashback. Okay. Of when they're children. I think they are like in second grade and Sejanus first comes to the school and he has like a bag of jelly beans or something and he shares it with Snow. And since then they've been like connected somehow. Even though Snow denies it, denies it, denies it, we come to find out that there are things that Snow shares with Sejanus, whether intentionally or not, that he does not discuss with anybody else. And so they they build this very weird friendship because Sejanus is really trying to be his friend. Sejanus is very loyal and it rubs off, I think, on onto Snow. Well, I think where it also becomes where he starts to folly is because in the military, when they were in the military they're not, and they're not in the military. No, I don't think you consider that military, but yeah. Okay, the peacekeepers. What do mm-hmm. they call them? Mm-hmm. Peacekeepers. That's what they are, yeah. Okay, so when he's in the district, uh, the um, when he's in the district serving his capital, uh-huh. um, so Janus goes into this thing where he starts to do treasonous acts. He already started though in the games. Oh yeah, he but did that in the games, but they didn't it. film it. But well, uh, but they didn't in it. but then when they went to District Twelve. He was starting to do some things that really saw that because everyone knows that we are connected in some way. You doing this falls on me. Right. So once again, this sets snow into survival mode where I need to do what's best for me to get away from this. Right. Absolutely. Because he he decided he figured out a way because even though he was banished 20 years military service, he was going to figure out a way to make that work his advantage. So he takes the officer's exam and he is going to get in his mind. So he's like, this friend of Janus who is going to cause treasonous acts is going to get us in trouble. But it also could have got somebody killed. And when he, I think, and they don't really go into it that well in the movie, but they did not. I don't, I don't believe Snow's intention was for Sejanus to be hung for his treasonous acts. He knew that was an option if he carried it out, which is why he was trying to prevent it from happening. And he really thought, because Sejanus is actually mentally ill um, because of that moral quandary, because what we didn't go over was that when Sejanus gets his tribute, it is someone from District 2. It is a boy that he knew from his childhood. And 
he has to witness this boy he gets away then he's tortured and strung up in the arena and he's like dying slowly and another tribute take puts him out of his misery but he witnesses all of it and causes him to snap it's too much for him because already he's from the district and he knows that district people are not scum they are not criminals they you know and so this has already caused a split in his person he's having some serious mental health issues well also which Snow mentioned and so he thinks that because the Plint family is so wealthy that they will come get this boy and put him in a padded room somewhere and that's his intent which is really what should have happened because he was not well he was yes he was extremely unwell but also could we say snow was also not well because in the book it doesn't go oh, into snow the is movie definitely crazy it doesn't go like this into the movie but in the book he's like he's before he's already in district 12 and it's a while before sejanus arrives he's already thinking of committing suicide he yes he wants or to dying end his, by he suicide. wants to end his life and he he's actually about to do it and that's when sejanus shows up and then he admits to him you know i was contemplating you know taking my own life because he had hit rock bottom and he didn't know what to do with himself and i think that he has when they say people have been in survival mode for so long that their brain kind of starts to do this i do believe that snow and he was traumatized he was traumatized with ptsd for what happened in the arena twice the bombing where he almost lost his life and lucy saved his life and then the second time he almost lost his life but he had to bludgeon that child to death to get out the arena when he was trying to save sejanus so those two experiences plus being started as a child plus you know then finding out that he had lost he, he sacrificed everything and in the end he lost and he was being sent banished basically he's away from for 20 years he was not supposed to see his family anymore he had nothing else he was rock bottom well should we say why he he's been he was banished for 20 years or is that too much of a spoiler it's not too much of a spoiler well folks here's what happened so in the games he he's doing there were things that were happening where lucy gray was queen of survival if you will but there was this time dr gall was going to use these snakes that happens earlier in the books that was really it's nasty it's very it's a it's a lot but you know just read the book and you'll mm -hmm. get it but these snakes would attack you if they didn't recognize your scent right so what he does he took a handkerchief that had Lucy's Lucy scent, scent on it. it threw it in this container when it was um All available mm -hmm. and then when they released the snakes in the arena to get the games over with because it was going to kill everyone no matter what there weren't going to be any winners <laughs> it was punishment for the death of the the president's nephew oh yeah mm -hmm. so they're just going to kill off and end the games but then the snakes smelt Lucy Gray and she starts singing. So everyone thinks it's her, her beautiful song that's hypnotizing the snakes. But it comes out that Corio cheated to get her to win. Right. He also, there's something, oh, in the, the poison. Um, and I think what is the difference is that in the book, you're surprised by his punishment because they did not go over the rules. And he technically did not cheat. He did not know about the snakes. He just did it just, you know, maybe. You well, know. hold on. No, he knew about the one part, the snakes, how they were responding. No, no, he didn't know that they were actually oh, going to use go. that tank of snakes and, and take it. In the movie, you can see that he puts it into the tank before it's taken into the arena. But in the book, that happens at the lab. Oh, they were just yeah. moving the snakes from one floor to another. And he just happened to just throw it in there. And he was, oh, yeah, because mm -hmm. he was thinking just in case if just they do this, case, yes. I'm going to do this but it's unknown so yeah because in the book there it is not explained that them feeding them feeding the um tribute uh not tributes yeah feeding, yeah, feeding yeah, the tributes was a, was breaking the rules and he fed the tributes he from the cafeteria and none of this was explained for them not to do right so he was just trying to figure out a way to play the system and to get him his, played up to right. play himself up and keep his tribute alive and yeah so which was the difference from the book and the movie, which works well in the book, which should have been the same in the movie, because that would have, what's the what? It, it would have made High Bottom's issue even more personal. Well, it also shows in the book that Snow was willing to cheat from the beginning. 
Um, I mean, in the movie, it shows him as a cheater. But in the book, he's actually, he's really not. He's just trying to help Lucy because she asked him. And here's the thing what they did not go over in the movie. In the book, Snow saved, Snow's life is saved by Lucy. And then after she saves his life, they have the interview. And he asks how he can repay her for saving his life. And she says, you can start believing I can win. So that's the part within him. Instead, of, it, it's more than him just trying to get you know whatever to get this prize he also is really motivated because to, to pay her back for what she did because she could have ran away and she stayed back and she helped him and and so he feels indebted to her a life for a life you know i i will help you win and in the movie they totally flipped those things and they had the interview first right. where she starts talking to him where this is where the movie falls apart for me, mm -hmm. where he starts to say like, well, she said, why don't you start believing I can win in this interview? And then the bomb and all that stuff happens. And it's kind of like, well, it wasn't until she was able to save his life for him to believe that she could survive. Right. And, and that's really important because that's when we're in the book, they're building that relationship. They're building that relationship because in the in the movie it seems why would she put herself out for him but we don't know that in the book they've been building a relationship and he explains to her and she knows that he's starving he's not getting enough of food either so he has to go to school to get food and she's like oh i thought everyone in the capital was rich so she's starting to understand where he's coming from and then when she has that performance because she's this beautiful songstress with this beautiful voice he is the one who gives her the guitar to borrow he finds that and he is there for her in that moment. And she, and so they are building this relationship of trust that his cousin said you need to do. And it becomes very real for him, especially after she saves his life. And so he's like, I have to make sure I save her life, you know? And so he's also motivated, but he also started to love her because he saw that selfless act that she did. Um, and he, and he's starting to see something in her that, wow, you know, she's a really good person and she deserves to win. And so he will do what he takes to help her win. But there's not much he can do, but to get her, you know, to get all the um, sponsors and everything like that and, you know, make sure she has an alliance with the other boy from 12 who is... Um, Dying from tuberculosis. No, 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 no. he's not. He's at, they don't rabies. know he's sick yet. They find out he has rabies late. And that's another thing. In the movie, he gets sick right away. They did not find out that the other tribute is has rabies until he's actually in the arena and he, they see him chase Lucy out and then they're like, you know, and then the doctor's child, um, she finds out, she's like, oh, it's rabies. He comes up the thing with the water. And so in the movie, it makes it seem like Snow is a lot more intelligent than he is. In the book, he's not that smart, but he learns quick. <laughs> he's a fast learner, but he's not that bright. Yes. And since we already talked about ethics of survival, we're going to go right into power and consequence. Um, the novel explores the consequences of wielding power, especially as characters like Corio navigate the political landscape, revealing moral implications of the capital's control. To what extent do the characters in the novel grapple with existentialist themes of freedom of choice in the face of an oppressive system? And how do their moral decisions reflect these ideas oh all this philosophical talk yes um well because there's a lot of it to me in this book so here's the thing and i'll say this i'll go with this i'll i'll start first okay okay because we talked about this a lot and mm -hmm. i don't want to rehash i don't want to rehash, it's rehash some for us <laughs> but um so yeah so to the extent is that like we said he in the book is not it's not considered cheating but he wants his tribute to survive so he is so he knows that okay he wants her to survive as a person not just to win not just to win right. he needs her to live he and also because he loves her at this point and by this time in the he book he's he always feeling he has this feeling of love mm -hmm. but she makes him feel special yeah she she sees him if mm -hmm. you will or he feels that he sees her because mm -hmm. he's a liar outright but in the book when he's confined to 12 here's where the true idea of freedom they kill, they end up killing, something happens, a fight breaks out, the mayor's daughter dies, the mayor wants to find out who murdered, and the guns were hidden. Mm -hmm. So now he knows that, oh, if they find out with some DNA swab that he's the one who pulled the trigger and killed the girl, 
he's going to be hung, right? Yeah. So he he decides he needs to escape this, and he's going to run away with Lucy Gray. They go to the cabin that you all see at the end of the Hunger Games in the movies, and I'm sorry, this is a reference from the movie and the book. So he goes and he finds the guns, and this is where I think it starts to like the maniacal uh, villain comes out because he says like he sees the guns if he gets rid of the guns now he's he has to question himself now mm-hmm. if i get rid of these guns then i am free then i'm free if not then i have to run away with lucy gray but he doesn't want to give up being capital he 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 figures it out yeah he's like there's a way that i can still keep capital i will so he gets rid of the guns but then that's when the whole detail comes out because it starts to like this conversation that was totally to me misportrayed in the movie. It made Lucy look like, cause throughout the entire movie, they always played like their relationship was not together. It like wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even. Mm-hmm. So for the fact that he is now seeing that, Oh, I can get away with this. And she starts to realize, well, if you got the guns now, there's no reason for you to leave. There's and he says, well, there's no loose ends, and it's like, oh, I would never tell. And the way she says it in the movie, it's like you can't trust her, right? And that's what I really hated. I didn't. I yeah, but the whole, but she played that character like someone who we didn't know the whole story, like someone who was untrustworthy. Um, So that's how that character was was played. In the novel, though, on the other hand, I think that she she was a survivalist, yes, but I do think that she was a very loving person and that she loved Big, and I think that she did love Snow. But I said, but yeah, and then this whole because thing... Because she saw him as her protector. Yeah, and it said, like, that was that power and consequence, because then when he mentions, because one thing she says to Snow is that she loves, like you said, like she loves big, but what's more important than love? Trust. Right. And I, we have to trust one another, especially when we're out here living off the land. That's how it was when it was arena, you know, arena time, they had to blindly trust each other. She had to blindly trust that he was going to look out for her and vice versa. So I think that, um, but I also think that he feels out of control of his emotions around her, which causes him to resent her because he makes really rash choices because of her. This is how he sees it. So I think when he gets to the point where he, he's like, I'm going to kill her. It's, it's like, I have to get rid of this in my life because I will not, I don't have control of myself when it comes to her. This will be weakness. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's his weakness. He wants to kill it. So I think that's where it gets to and how do their moral decisions reflect these ideas is basic. Like you said, is rash decisions. And in the book, when he sees like, and he just goes like left field, like, mm-hmm. oh, he sees her scarf. He goes to pick it up. He gets bitten by a snake. Right. And he thinks immediately, oh, she set she me up. She did this to me. Yeah. And I really wish they, and they did this magnificently in the book like they really did i mean sorry in the movie and in the movie in the movie this was done well visually because he's like come on out like i'm not i just want to talk it was very much like the old school classic unsolved mystery murderer who's gonna be like look i'm not gonna hurt you if you just come out right Please it, come really, out. It, it just it's so like even when i read in in the book it reminded me of um the the Stephen King movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson, you know when he loses his mind, he takes down his family, and so it's it's to me was the same thing. Like Snow has lost his mind, but he will gain some of it back. But it's funny because there's a scene at the end where he's talking to Dean Highbottom and he says, "Oh, the not knowing's gonna drive you crazy, not knowing what happens to Lucy." And in the book, you don't you don't know what happened to Lucy, but we do know that in the future in the Hunger Games. Snow loses control when it comes to this girl from District 12. 
who has a lot of similarities with Lucy Gray. Well, and so we uh, know that he eventually it does cause him to lose his mind. And some of those similarities, like she does sing the Hanging Tree song, like Lucy Gray writes this song and sings it, and and you hear it in the book. Mm-hmm. She's told from the peacekeepers because she sings it at a birthday party, and they said, "Oh, this song is too." It gets people. No, she didn't sing it at the birthday party. Wasn't it at that party? No. The general's party? No, she sung it at the um she sung it the day that they the day that the mayor's daughter died. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I and thought she it was... was told then not to sing it anymore. Okay. Well, either way, that song comes up and in the book there's this flower, this food that could be this plant that could be eaten. And it has a different name, but then, yeah, but for a short, she calls it, for a nickname, she calls it Katniss. No, that's what it's called. called No, I thought they called it something else. I mean, no, it is a nickname for it, but she's like, she likes its real name, which is Katniss. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, my bad, people. Yeah, so so there's there's a connection there um, between this Lucy Graybeard family in the the Covey and years and years later, uh, Katniss Everdeen. Everdeen. So, um, and I think that Snow, never knowing what happened, and this was really probably his first and last romantic love, and we never know what happened. And I think that his relationship with his cousin is permanently damaged. And we we don't know in The Hunger Games that Tigress is his cousin. We find out later. And if you remember... Uh, the cat lady in the end who looks of... like a feline. She does. She has done that to herself, though. I think some people thought she had been punished to look like that, but she actually did that to herself. I thought she said when because the president found her not as interesting, she did that to herself, or yeah, she he did, did it. She did it to herself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's just how she felt, you know. And so I think that she. My, I have a lot of theories about it, but basically there is a divide. And so Snow will spend the rest of his life, his adult life, without anybody around him who truly cares about him um, because of the actions that he, he chose as a young man. And I think that's what plays out because we do see that his world's gotten really small. And one of the most disgusting things that he does and... It could go on about how this stuff went down with Sejanus, which Janus doesn't survive. Um, he is hung for treason. And Snow just walks around into his life like the son that they were missing. And that's how Snow gets back his his money and is able to go to school. So basically, he sold his soul to have what he calls success. But he is a very lonely individual. Sad, you know, and you just have to end up feeling like this psychopath you know, he just, he never had anybody. And so when he, later as an adult, when he sees something that could be real, um, and still that, that humanity and that sweetness and that sacrifice that he sees in Katniss Everdeen, you can see why that would disgust him. And he, he doesn't feel that it. that's real. Mm-hmm. And so, because he, he doesn't know unconditional love anymore because he pushed it all away. He pushed it all away. And that's how his life has been. So that's why he could never understand where the district people are coming from because he gave all of that away. He cut all of that off and we saw that. And so that's really interesting. So, um, my recommendation again is read the books, read all the books, read this book. Definitely. Uh, you don't have to read it in order to understand it fully. You can read this one first and the others or the other three and then this, whatever. Uh, and then see the film, but understand that, well, it's totally see, different. Yeah, read this novel and then see the film because it will give more insight into the blunders of this film, which is why I think it didn't land. Like the book hit me in a way like Mies and I did totally disagree. Like I said, I like Snow and I really like the young Snow. And I just saw like, although I can see that he's a maniacal person and he's just, well, maniacal is mm-hmm. harsh. He's a person who may be a little conniving trying to get ahead like we all are in Definitely the rat race a narcissist. he is a little bit of a narcissist yes but um 
he's a like he he wants to get back to greatness he wants to get to greatness and he needs to figure out how because he is a brilliant he well he is smart he's He's not brilliant he's a great strategist Mm -hmm. and you see that later in his older age when he drinks the poison and all that other stuff smart because he's manipulated by people who are smarter than him who end up leading the rebellion right yeah so he he's still um but he's he's blinded by his own arrogance and that is eventually will be his it's already to me he's already lost in this movie like it's already his downfall Oh yeah! at the end of this because he's all alone and there's nobody he can trust and that's that's a scary thing you know to be in this dog eat dog environment and not be able to trust anybody but I also see that what was good about his experience is that by the time we we come across the this uh, world in Hunger Games then we see that everybody even 12 or Lewis supports is much better than it was when Lucy Gray's time. You know, we do see that these people are able to eat. You know, we do see that things have been built up. So we do see there is uh, investment. And so he learned that even if I don't see them as equals, they have to be treated humanely. You know, so that, that I think was important to, to building that world. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. We can go on and we on could. and talk I about this because really, there's a really lot. Enjoyed, I really enjoyed the book and I do recommend because we, we didn't go over everything. Um, maybe you'll determine which characters you love the best. I'll, I'll, I will be honest in saying I like nobody. <laughs> but I will say that Dean Highbottom, that little part played by, um, what's that actor's name? I cannot remember his name. I usually remember it and then, um, oh gosh. Anyways, Dean Highbottom, you guys can look him up. He's he he also played in Game of Thrones and all a whole bunch of other stuff. I can't think of his name right now, but he's a really good actor. And, and like I didn't like Dean in the book, but then in the in the movie, I thought he did a really good job of bringing humanity to that character and explaining his kind of motivations. And Doctor Gall was fabulous. She comes across like a psychopath, but she's she has some good points. So she um it's it's very interesting i did enjoy it so i hope there's another hunger games book about anybody you know all these characters are really interesting and of course like most of the people who watched the movie or read the book i do hope lucy gray did make it i believe that she did i believe that she didn't die that day so and i guess what khalif recommendation is read the book read the book it is it is phenomenal there's things to love and hate about this book i mean granted i say i like snow because he i mean not because he's the protagonist but to me in this world and seeing like being hungry and trying to find greatness in some way he's a really good protagonist he's a really good bad guy yeah it's that's 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 you know me i love villains you know bane he's really well done he's very well Mm -hmm. done in the book he's kind of he's got a lot of emotions going on there I say this, and I'll and I'll make this one comparison because it will not be long. Anakin Skywalker, played by Hayden Christensen, hey. flat, flat, um, Vader, right? This is the same in Hunger Games, uh, the ballad movie with Snow. Like mm-hmm. he felt very flat and one dimensional, which is why in the book. Or as in Star Wars, the novelizations of the movies and books, Vader, Anakin is very well developed. Mm -hmm. And you find out all of these hidden motivations and anger that he has towards the Jedi. So there's a lot of things there with Snow that develop because of this within Snow that happens in this book, which I really, not that I identify, but I could see the the making of a villain, if you will. Right. It's, I think it's really good to have that because no one is a hundred percent evil, you know. No one's a hundred percent good. So I do like that she does a really good job of giving these characters believability and life to it, and um, the unfortunate circumstances that this environment is, you know, this this world is. So on that note, I would like to just close out with reminding everyone you know to give us a shout at crossfire at crusade.net crusade with the k if there's something you want us to talk about we are taking suggestions we always take suggestions for this new year in 2024 we'll try to get to some of those um you can also shop our merch when it becomes available 
Oh yeah, and please remember support your boy Khalif Knight and his music. If you go get to the website, you can see videos such as, or go to YouTube, search Khalif Knight, and you get Stick and Move, Paper, Ajima, and Mint, and much, much more. So all of this is coming soon. We'll definitely let you know when it all is live and how you can support us. And I just would like to say I hope you all the very, very best until I we hear from us again, I guess. Um, so this is your girl, Jimmy. And I am your boy, entrepreneur, Khalif. You all take care now.